0: Today we're going to wrap up our series through the book of James, and I'm really excited to kind of share how it all wraps up, but then next week we're going to begin a conversation that will build off of this, because we've been talking about what does it really mean to follow God? What does it look like to to tangibly live in this world as a Christ follower and live wisely? But next week, we are going to look at four different voices, four different people who are going to share what does it look like for them to follow God in the kind of season of life that they're in. And the first person we're going to have come back and share with us is our retired lead pastor, Lee Harrison. So he, ironically, is going to be here just in time for the air conditioning. Yeah. And I'm going to be gone. Yeah. Irony. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn with me to James chapter 5. That's where we're going to be camped in today. That's where we are going to stay. But before we get there, for those of you who are visiting, for those of you who may not have uh, been with us on this journey, let me really briefly remind you of where we've been. James, uh, it's interesting because when I went into this series... I anticipated that the book of James, if somebody had asked me, hey, how would you sum up the book of James? What word or theme kind of sums the whole thing up? I would have told you without a second thought, well, uh, you know, works. Because we are called to live out our faith. So what does it actually look like? It looks like doing good works that flow from a faith in Jesus Christ. And that's true. However, as we have been slowly chewing on this letter over the last two or three months, one of the things that has become very, very evident to me is that there's another word that I think sums it up just as well, if not even better. And that word is wisdom. Because for James, he is calling men and women who call Jesus Christ their Lord to live wisely, specifically because they're living in a land that does not consider Jesus Christ to be Lord, that does not consider God to be the creator and sustainer of everything. And so he's writing to them saying, here is how you live in the midst of persecution. Here's how you can live in the midst of of trouble and, and trials that you're walking through. Here's how you can live when you have plenty. And here's how you can live when you have little. And so he is, the goal of a Christ follower's life, in James's opinion, is wise living which has then caused us to step back and ask the question, well, how do we gain wisdom? It's not enough to just like, tell my kids, hey, be wiser, right? Make wise decisions. Well, how do you do that? And so it's led us again and again over the last several weeks to a, 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 a frame that continues to come up throughout the Old Testament, particularly in the wisdom literature, like Psalms and Proverbs. And it goes something like this. The fear of the Lord... Is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when we say the word fear, we do not mean trepidation. We don't mean terror. I I just took Ethan, since Joe was here, we decided to go body surfing early this morning. So I took Ethan down with me to the beach. And back in the day when Ethan first started body surfing with me, we'd get down there and he'd see the waves and he would just kind of be like, they're too big. And, and there was a part of me that's like, good, respect those waves. But there's another part of me going, don't be afraid of them. Because if you're afraid of them, you'll never go in. And you will never experience the joy of being able to slide down the face of a wave. Over the years, however, Ethan's attitude towards those waves has changed. And there are seasons where he'll look at the water and go, Psh, it's just waves, let's go play. And we, right when we get there, he just wants to go bolting into the water. I go, hold on, stop for a second. We're going to watch the water for five to 10 minutes. We're going to see what the sets look like. He goes, why? We look at it. It looks like a lake. It's nothing. It's fun. Let me go. And the reason is because that water is powerful. That water is far more powerful than he is. And so I don't want him to simply think that the water is going to do his bidding. I want him to respect the power of that water. And when he has, and that's what that word fear, yare elohim, the fear of God, that fear is talking about a reverential respect for someone who is far more powerful than we are. Now, you don't need to turn here, but in the book of Deuteronomy, or let's actually, we're going to do it in Exodus because there's a couple of places it talks about this. But in Exodus chapter 20, we have this really interesting dialogue between the people of God, the Israelites that are kind of at the the base of Mount Sinai to covenant with their God, and Moses, who's leading the people on behalf of God. And there's this interesting moment where they look up on the mountain and there's fire. Actually, I'll just read it. This is from verse 18 of Exodus chapter 20. When the people look up on the mountain... And they saw thunder and lightning and heard the trumpets and saw the mountain in smoke because that is what the mountain looked like when the presence of God descended upon it. When they look up and saw that, they trembled with fear. That's not the kind of fear we're talking about. That's not the kind of fear that leads to wisdom. That's the kind of terror that shuts somebody down. They stayed at a distance and they said to Moses, You speak to us yourself and we'll listen, but but do not have God speak to us or we will die. That kind of fear, and some people have that about God, that he is an angry traffic cop waiting up in heaven looking for something that he can give us a ticket for, strike us down. That he is some unruly power that just likes to smite people. Oh, mighty smiter, as, as Evan Almighty likes to say, right? It's, it's this, some people have this view of God that he's just angry, And he's looking to hurt us if we step out of line. That is an unhealthy fear of God that causes people to back away and stay at a distance, much like the Israelites were doing. So then Moses turns around. Verse 20, he says this to the people. Do not be afraid, but God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. What an interesting dichotomy. Don't be afraid. But God has shown up in this way. He didn't have to. He could have come quietly. But he chose to show up with the thunder, the lightning, the smoke, the trumpets, the quaking of the ground. And the people are quaking. And he goes, no, no, no. It's just that God wants you to have a respect for the fact that he is God. And you are not. And when you recognize that God is far more powerful than you, he's the creator and sustainer of everything, when you have a right understanding of who God is and you, who you are in relationship to him, then you will not go through life thinking that you know better than he knows. You won't walk through your life thinking, God, you need to order creation the way that I want it. Answer my prayers the way that I demand. No, instead what we do is we will begin to order our lives around God. We'll say, you created me. You created everything. You sustain me. Therefore, whatever you say goes. I will follow your lead. I will submit to your directives. I'll submit to the Holy Spirit you placed in my heart. And the writers of the wisdom literature, time and again, come back to this thing, the fear of God. And they say, when you have a right understanding of who God is, then you, and you begin to order your life around him, then you will begin to live wisely. Because wisdom comes from the Lord. We might think that we're wiser than God. We, we might think we know better than he does. And time and again, we're shown that the wisdom of this world is, is foolishness in God's eyes. And James is often called, the book of James is often called the Proverbs of the New Testament specifically because he focuses so much energy on wisdom. And he recognizes that every aspect of our lives, not just the hours between 10 and 1130 on a Sunday morning, and not just when you pray right at a meal, every moment of our lives belongs to God. And if we are going to live wisely, we will live with an understanding that he is God and we are not. Therefore, he gets the say in our lives. And we, as we submit to him and follow his lead, will be living wisely. And, and as he wraps up his letter, he, be, he ends in a very similar way than he began. Remember, right at the very beginning, he was saying, listen, if any of you lacks wisdom, what should you do? Pray, ask God for wisdom, and he who gives generously will give it to you. He will give you wisdom. And he ends his letter in much the same way. So, beginning in verse 13, let's just go ahead and read through it, and then we'll begin to pull it apart. And I'm, I'm feeling totally naked, by the way, right now, because I, when I was body surfing, I left my ring in my pocket of my shorts. I didn't lose it, promise Kathy. But I'm feeling totally naked up here, so please don't judge me right now. I know, Jeannie. Seriously. Verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Well, then let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If you've sinned, or if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. So therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Think about Elijah for a moment. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain. And it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, just remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. You know, when we talk about living our faith, which is kind of what we titled this whole series is kind of living out our faith, faith in action. When we think about the kind of action that flows from faith, we tend to think about things like the way I speak to somebody when they do me wrong and the way that I treat them, the way that I respond when somebody cuts me off on the road. That's how I show my faith. Or maybe the way that I deal with my finances. That's how I show my faith. The way that I treat my kids the decisions that I make in life. All of those things are ways that we show our faith. But for James and for many of the other biblical writers, one of the most powerful ways that we show our faith is by our prayer life, by the way that we pray. And, and I should mention to you that prayer is not just something that you do at mealtimes, maybe at bedtime, and then at church. That's not the only time that we pray, although those are times that we think to pray. Instead, prayer is more of an ongoing conversation in every moment of every day, recognizing that the creator and sustainer of the universe is present with us. He's implanted his Holy Spirit in our heart, the same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus throughout his three years of ministry, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave lives in us as we've prayed or as we've sung. He resides in us. And so God is not some distant being that we have to call out to in order to get him to hear. He's with us and he's present. And prayer is an ongoing dialogue in every moment of the day. When you wake up and you just begin in those moments to lay in bed, he's there. And some of my sweetest times with God are just that time laying in bed, having a conversation with him or just thinking and letting him speak to me it's as you're preparing for the day, as you're brushing your teeth, as you're eating breakfast, as you're, maybe not in that order, as you're driving to work, as you're driving to school, as you're at school or work, as you're coming home, as you're going to the gym, as you're going to sports practice or whatever you happen to be doing. Every moment of every day, God is with us and prayer is the connection, the conversation that happens in the midst of that. And by the way, I should mention that that means that prayer is not simply a monologue. Too many of us approach prayer as if we just need to give our laundry list of needs to God. God, I need this, I need this, I need this. I need a whole lot less of this. Can you stop the sickness right now and and maybe stop the the letters from that particular um, bill collector? Can you just stop that and give me more of this? And we can bring those things but if we approach prayer as simply a one-directional monologue, we are missing out on living the wise life. Because prayer is a dialogue. And it's, it's about opening ourselves to allowing God to speak into where we're at, where we're going, what we're doing, what, we, what we're considering. The things that we, we, we want, laying them down at His feet, and then listening to what He has to say. It's, it's like the plans that I had for this Sunday. As they were running through my mind, they seemed really, really good. And then I kind of spend some time just laying them down at God's feet and going, what do you think? How, how should I approach this? And much of what I'm sharing today are just things that he placed on my heart as I spent time listening. That's one of the reasons why I love going up to Palomar. I love getting up the mountains because I feel like I can hear his voice better up there. All of the distractions and all of the demands and all of the stuff that I normally run to, I just lay aside so that I can spend time sitting in the cathedral of creation listening to what he has to say. So prayer is not a monologue where we just give a laundry list of needs. Prayer is a dialogue. It's a constant recognition that God is present. And that he has the right to share and, and give us direction on how we should live our life, which sounds a whole lot, by the way, like what uh, Solomon, one of the wisest men who's ever lived, one of the richest men who's ever lived. King Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six, he said this: "Trust in the Lord with all your heart, with all of your being, and do not rely on your own understanding. In everything you do, acknowledge Him. That's more, by the way, than just simply saying, oh yeah, I know you're there. It's a, it's, a, it's a process of fixing our eyes on Him and saying, okay, I know you're there. How now shall I live? In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. And what will He do? He will make your paths straight. He will guide your steps. He will give you wisdom to know how to proceed. Or at the very least the Spirit will guide your heart in such a way that you're not going to do something in complete contradiction to God's desires in your life if you are opening yourself up and listening. And so James, talking again about living this wise life, opens this section on prayer that he's wrapping up the whole section with this encouragement. In every moment of every day of your life, During the high points, the moments that bring you great joy, and the low points, those valleys that you walk through when you just feel like you can't go on and you're at the end of yourself in everything, live a life of prayer, a constant communion with the Father. So is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Notice there, he doesn't promise what the outcome of their prayer will be, but simply pray. Connect with God. Bring it to God. Bring your questions. If you have questions about our God, here's the thing I love about him. He's a big enough God to handle the full range of our emotions, our doubts, our questions, our our disappointments. You can bring those to him. Is anyone happy? Got a few of you in here. Let them sing songs of praise, thanking God for his goodness, recognizing that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above, that he knows what we need. Is anyone among you sick? Have you reached the end of your rope? Whether it's physically, emotionally, spiritually, you're just just at the end of yourself. Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. So therefore, confess your sins to each other And pray for each other so that you might be healed. Now let's pause there for a moment. Because a lot of times when we think about prayer, we think about something that's tremendously intimate. Right? This is between me and God. My prayers, and some of you have a prayer closet, and it is important to practice a a one-on-one communion with the Father. And not to pray in such a way that you're glorifying yourself, basically showing how articulate you are in prayer. There's plenty of people, especially in Jesus' day, there were plenty of people who were professional prayers. Try saying that five times fast. You know, this is what they did is they prayed publicly, but it was more about them being noticed. James is not encouraging us to pray in that way. However, he's also reminding us that prayer does not necessarily have to be a one-on-one conversation. Because remember, we were created in God's image. And God is a triune God. He is in communion with Himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a community there. We, like Him, were created to be in community both with Him and with one another. And so He would urge us if you find yourself in need or sick or at the end of your rope, whether it is spiritual, physical, or emotional, Don't think you have to carry that by yourself. Come out of hiding. Call the church. Call a couple of elders. Let them know what's going on. Can I just say this for a moment? Far too many of you are very, very comfortable coming alongside other people when they're hurting. But you are completely uncomfortable letting other people walk with you when you're hurting. You are happy when somebody reaches out and says, hey, can you, can, you, can you just pray for me right now? You are happy to do it. But when it comes to you sharing one of your needs, whether it's embarrassment or you just don't want to be an imposition upon people, you tend to hold it back. And James says, that's not how you should live. We have been created to carry one another's burdens. But do not think that it's other people's job to discern. Now, I will tell you this over the last couple of weeks, there's been a number of times that God has put somebody on Jeff or my heart. And so we just kind of out of the blue give them a call. And it's been crazy the amount of times they go, Oh my goodness, I have needed desperately to pray with somebody. Thank you for reaching out. So there are some times where God will place somebody on your heart and you just give them a call and, it, and it's, it's a powerful time of connection. But please, please don't wait for that to happen. Because if you want to get well, one of the ways that we have been created is for others to walk with us. And so please be open about reaching out to other people. And sometimes one of the reasons we don't reach out is because we're embarrassed. Maybe it's because some of what we are dealing with is caused by a choice that we've made. We're embarrassed about the decisions we've made because he talks about in prayer that people will find forgiveness. And you start going, wait a minute, what does is, what is, what is prayer and sickness and sin have to do with one another? I will be, I, I will be up front with you. We live in a broken, fallen world. This world is sin-sick. So there are times where you will experience sickness and it is not related to some sin that you've done. Jesus even called it out. There was a a guy who was blind and his disciples go, Hey, Jesus, who sinned, him or his parents, that he should be blind? And Jesus goes, Nobody. But this was done so that God can be glorified in and through him. So it's not that our sin... It's not that our sickness is always tied to sin. Sometimes it's just a, a, a product of living in a, a sin-sick world. But sometimes our sickness is tied to it. Sometimes the things that we are struggling with, whether they're emotional, physical, physical, or even spiritual, a sense of I just don't feel close to God at all. I feel so distant from him. I feel so completely hopeless. Sometimes that is tied specifically to an ongoing area of sin that we have not laid down. I think of David as a great example. In You don't need to turn here, but in Psalm 32, David was a man after God's own heart, but David was not a perfect man. I love the fact that this Bible is littered with people who were imperfect and that God used them anyway. But David made one massive mistake that we, that we tend to focus a lot on and that is that he, his eye was captured by a woman that was not his wife and he took some steps towards connecting with her in a way that was inappropriate. And then when he realized that his mistake was going to be found out, he sought to cover it up. To the point where he actually had one of his best friends, one of his mighty men sent to the front of battle so that he would be killed. That was the length to which David sought to cover up his sin. And in Psalm 32, which we can look at in a lot of ways, like his journal. During that season of his life, he acknowledges the physical cost of trying to hide his sin from God and one another, but particularly from God. And he acknowledges the freedom that came with opening up. So in Psalm 32, he writes this, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For night and day your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. We all know what that feels like, right? I felt the weight of my sin, the shame, the guilt. And I was terrified to come out of hiding because if anybody knew, if anybody knew, they would reject me as their king. Verse 5, then I acknowledged my sin to you, God, and, you, and didn't cover up my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord. And here's the best part of this whole thing. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Far too many of us are walking through this life with the chains of guilt around our neck with backpacks full of rocks of selfish decisions that we've made some of them that we continue to make chronic sins that we just can't find our way out of but we don't want to tell a soul and so like Adam and Eve in the garden who recognize that they have sinned against God instead of coming out of hiding we back into the shadows Away from God, away from one another. We start covering up our our, our nakedness, our vulnerability, our shame with fig leaves of busyness and activity and good works. Or if that doesn't work, we just put on a a smile and pretend we've got it all together. And if anybody starts getting close to that area, if we start feeling too vulnerable, we just very quickly point the finger at somebody else and, and kind of shift the focus away from ourselves because it's safer to stay hidden than to come out of hiding. May I just remind you that we have an enemy who loves when we play that game because we have an enemy who is like a prowling, roaring lion, prowling around looking for whom he might devour. And who do lions go after? Chris, I know you know this. Who do lions go after? Sorry, did I wake you up? They go after other animals, thankfully, yes. The ones that are not in cars, typically. Specifically, lions will go after the animals who are sickly. The ones who are suffering. The ones who have either been ostracized from the pack, or more more often than not, have ostracized themselves from the pack because they're sick. And like wounded dogs who go off to lick their wounds until they either heal or die, these animals have separated themselves from the pack. And that's who the lions go after. Well, we have an enemy who plays that same game, but he does it with us. And he seeks to take us down. And the the areas, the shadow areas that we tend to hide in, that we hide our sin in, that we try to keep from the eyes of other people, That's the devil's playground because those are the areas where he will slip in and he'll begin to whisper into our ear, hey, just do it one more time. Nobody, nobody found out the last time you're fine. And when we give into that temptation, he's right there to whisper words of shame. If anybody knew that you just did that, they'd be disgusted. They would want nothing to do with you. you better hide that down deep. And so we have this tendency to just back further and further into the shadows and slap more and more fig leaves, more and more masks on, so that we present a good front to the world. But inside, we are empty, we are scared, we're ashamed. And James simply exhorts his brothers and his sisters to do just the opposite of that. Don't continue to hide. Come out of hiding. Let other people know. And and, and hear me. Let me be very very clear here. I am not suggesting that you post your deepest, darkest secrets on social media. (laughs) Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is that you guys are on these days, I can't keep up with it. Any form of social media is an inappropriate way to bleed out and be vulnerable to people. Yes, it is a way that some people will cry out for help, but it's a pretty inappropriate place to do that. When he's saying, reach out and let other people in, what he's talking about is reaching out to trusted brothers and sisters in Christ who are themselves wise and trustworthy. Ladies, that means reaching out to another woman. Men, reaching out to another man. Or a couple of them. Inviting them in. Sharing what's going on. Kind of peeling away the fig leaves and saying, here's what I'm struggling with right now. And most importantly, inviting them to pray with you, to join you in praying for strength and to pray for God's truth to shine and heal that specific area. And James says on the heels of that, well, I know what it says. He says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It's the second half of verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, let me ask this question. Why is the prayer of a righteous person powerful and effective? What makes it so powerful? Powerful. Well, first off, it's powerful because it is not tied to their own strength, as if they are somehow better than somebody else. The prayer of a righteous person is connected to our Father God, and the only limitations on our prayers is God's will, because God is the creator and sustainer of everything. He's all-powerful, but what truly makes the prayer of a righteous person powerful and effective is this. A righteous person is someone who fears God, who has a right, right perspective of who God is in their life and is willing to submit their life to him. And because that individual is pursuing wisdom and is spending time getting to know the heart of their father God, by spending time in His Word. The kind of person who allows the Holy Spirit to terraform their heart by creating space to listen. As they journey with God, and the Holy Spirit begins to shift their heart so that it is in greater alignment with Him, then when they pray, their prayers are in alignment with God's will. More and more and more, the things they pray are the very things that God desires for their life or for the life of other people. Now, does that mean that God does not listen or answer the prayers of sinners or non-believers? I would argue that in fact, he does. Otherwise, there's not a single one of us in here who could rest in God's love because we are all sinners separated from God and he heard our cry for help. He has answered that prayer. So I believe that God does hear the prayers of sinners. However, when we give in to sin, it begins to deaden our heart. It begins to deaden our ability to hear the still small voice of the Holy Spirit saying, hey, go this way. Hey, that's not your Father's will right now. And so the more we give in to sin, the more our prayers will tend to be more self-focused, selfish, and very short-sighted as opposed to God-focused and broader, longer viewed, recognizing that sometimes our sickness brings him glory. Sometimes the things that we are journeying through are things that he's allowing us to journey through and trusting in him. And so while he may hear the prayers of sinners... A lot of times what we pray for is pretty selfish, and so it's not in alignment with the will of God, and therefore his answer to our prayers is no, or not right now, or if I gave you that, it would actually set you back from where I want to lead you. I can't tell you how many prayers I look back on in my life, and I just thank God that he said no but when somebody is listening to God and aligning their lives and, and out of fear, a reverent respect for who he is, they align themselves more and more. Our prayers are in alignment with what God wants and so they are powerful and effective. All right, one last thought before we go into our response time and it's this. We can know that our Father God loves us, is for us, hears us, and when we pray, he responds. But we cannot demand an answer as if we can somehow make God kowtow to our desires and do our will. Remember, he's God and we are not. And there are plenty of examples in Scripture of times when people prayed, very holy people, things, people like Paul. Paul wrote half of the New Testament. Paul often prayed over people and they were healed completely. And yet Paul says in in 2 Corinthians that he had this thorn in the flesh. Theologians think that it was probably his eyesight, that his eyesight was going very rapidly. At at 40, I'm beginning to recognize that. It's like it's starting, right? Some of you know what we're talking about here. He's starting to lose his eyesight. And some theologians believe that's what he was praying. God, would you take this thorn in the flesh? I want to be able to see perfectly. Would you make it go away? Three times he said he prayed for God to heal him. And he was not healed. And instead, this is what he, he acknowledges from Second Corinthians chapter, whatever, Second Corinthians 12. He says this, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. For Paul specifically in that moment, Paul, I know that's what you want, but it's not what I want for you. And it's not what I want for the people you're ministering to because my grace is sufficient and my power is made perfect in your weakness. And in fact, I can glorify myself through your dimming eyesight. What I want you to hear this morning as we talk about prayer is that it's powerful and it is not limited by our weakness. It's only limited by God's will. Remember, he is all-powerful. God can do whatever he wants. And there are times that the things we pray for are not in alignment with what he wants. And so sometimes God's answer to us is no. And yet at other times, his answer is yes. And sometimes, as Bill pointed out a few weeks ago, his answer is wait. And for James, he simply says, come as you are, bring your prayers to God. And submit them to him. Because a wise prayer is very similar to the same way that a wise person will plan. A person who is wise will pray in a very similar posture to somebody who is wise will plan. And that is this. God, here's what I want. Here's what I long for. Here's what I'm asking you for. But your will be done. I submit it into your hands. Would you have your way with me? Would you glorify yourself in me however you so wish? that makes sense? Okay. So this morning, we're going we're to respond in two ways. The first way that we're going to respond, sec- re- this will be the second way we respond, but I'm going to tell you first. Are you confused yet? Yeah, good. <laughs> One of the ways we're going to respond this morning is through prayer. We are going to spend some time praying for one another, and specifically, we are going to pray for healing. And I believe there is power in our prayers. And if you want to know, well, you participated in one of those powerful prayers three weeks ago, when Bill Nelson was walking around with his fanny pack that was, was also a suction cup that was sucking this big hole in his side that for six months had not closed up from an infection. Six months of waiting for it to heal to the point where his doctors said, hey, we know we've had you this suction thing on you for a while. You're going to need it for another two months at least. So get used to this thing. And so we decided, hey, let's go out on a limb and let's just pray for our brother. And we did. The next day, when the nurse came by his house, she said, Bill, something's changing. This hole is closing up for the first time in six months. We're actually having some forward progress. And then later that week, when he sat down with his doctor, the doctor said, Bill, this thing's really closing up. And then the next week, when he sat down with that same doctor, the doctor said, Bill, the, the hole is too small for the suction to be in there anymore. I know I told you two more months. We got to take it now because it doesn't fit. We're just going to need to let it heal on its own. Does prayer work? You better believe it. And I just thank God that my brother is, is less holy. <laughs> Whatever, you get it. Yeah. I thank God that God answered that prayer. And this morning we are going to spend some time praying for one another. I'm going to ask the elders and their wives to be available. They will have anointing oil and that oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. So when we put that oil on you, it is a, an act of saying, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fall upon our brother or our sister and that you would do what the doctors cannot do, that you would do, that you would do what modern medicine cannot do, that you would, would do what we cannot do. Would you heal this person, whether it's physical, emotional, or spiritual. But before we get there, one of the things that James talks about in this passage that we don't talk about in the church very often is confession. It's one of those things that for people who love to hide in the shadows, love to put on the masks or the fig leaves of a good front so that we are not exposed in our shame, it's one of those things that we shy away from. And before you get nervous and leave, I'm not going to ask you to publicly confess, okay? So relax. But I do want to model for you what that looks like. And so I'm going to invite the elders of our church. We have four of them here today, a couple of them are traveling right now. But I'm going to invite the elders of our church to come and help me in this. And we, as the shepherds of this church, are going to take a few moments and read a couple of confessions that are not for only us specifically and are not even for this church specifically. But really, these are confessions that we recognize on behalf of the church universally because there's only one church. Jesus is the head of all of it, and we are a part of it. But we recognize this. The church has been called to be God's representatives in a sin-darkened world, and we have not done that perfectly. In fact, we've done some things that have been very counterproductive in our desire to bring glory to God and to bring about His purpose and His plans. And so this morning, we are going to acknowledge a small handful of them. And this is both as a way of just being modeling for you, coming humbly before God, but it's also, I don't want this to be something that we just do to do it. This is heartfelt. These are confessions that we have prayed through and we've each chosen ones that we go, I need need to pray that one. I need to say that one. So we're just going to take a few moments and I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. and We're going to begin to just prepare our hearts for worship and let this time of confession. I I want you to listen to these confessions. And I want you to pray, God, is this one that I also need to lay down in front of you? All right? Let's start down here. Good morning. We confess that we have not taken the Great Commission as seriously as you do. We do not go out of our way to make disciples. We have been complacent with the gospel, expecting believers to come to us instead of seeking and saving the lost we confess that we have placed our trust in our possessions, our bank bank balance, and our abilities rather than resting in you. We confess that far too often we have been more outspoken about what we are against than what we are for, and we have earned the reputation of being arrogant and judgmental. We confess that we often fear the opinion of others more than we fear you. And because of this, we have based our decisions on what other people want rather than ordering our lives around you. We confess that we have treated people differently based upon their age, their gender, their cultural heritage, their appearance, and their affluence. We confess that we have sought to play God at times, judging others despite our limited perspective, rather than loving them and allowing you to be their judge. We confess that far too often we have focused on our own comfort rather than upon doing your will, Father. We confess that we are often relied on the wisdom of this world rather than trusting in the wisdom of your word and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We confess that at times we have mistaken our enemies to be flesh and blood rather than spiritual. And because of this, we have fought against the very people you have called us to love. And we confess that far too often we have viewed other church communities as competition rather than as as a part of the same unified body of Christ. We've been critical of them, celebrated when they stumbled, and sought to steal sheep from other pastures. And because of this, the gospel has been hindered. I'm going to ask my brothers, to to grab their wives and and kind of spread around the room. Father God, you've heard these confessions. I am so grateful that you use broken, cracked vessels to pour out your perfect love. And sometimes what comes out of the vessel does taste like the vessel. And we apologize for the ways that we've gotten in the way of what you wanted to do. We apologize, Father God, as Lighthouse Community and on behalf of your church. We apologize for the ways that we have been a hindrance to the gospel. For the ways that our fears have hindered us from being useful tools in your hands, submitted to you and doing whatever it is you want to do. Would you... Would you use us in spite of ourselves and continue to work out your purpose and your plans in us? Father, I pray that you would give us the courage as a church, as a people, and as your sons and daughters to come out of hiding and to remove the power of the enemy to keep us in the shadows, to keep us silent. Would you give us the courage to walk into the light arm in arm with a couple of brothers or sisters And that every moment of every day would be an act of prayer. And right now, Father, we, as a church body, just want to come before you. Acknowledging that there is brokenness in our body. Specifically, there's sickness. Some of it's physical. Whether it's cancer or tumors. Or brokenness or aching. Some of it is emotional, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, grief that seems to control us. And Father, some of it's spiritual, tied to sin. This, this, our flesh continues to pull us towards things that we know are destroying us and yet we can't seem to get free. And Father, this morning we just ask that you would meet us where we're at. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint us just like this oil anoints us, that you would fall upon us and that you would fill us from the top of our heads to the bottom of our feet and that you would do what we cannot do. Would you bring glory to yourself through us? And so this morning, we simply want to respond with worship. And part of that worship is bringing ourselves. And so if there's any of you that need prayer this morning for any reason whatsoever, maybe there's something you want to lay down. Maybe there's something that you just want to lay in somebody's hands and say, would you carry this with me? Or maybe there is some aspect that you just need healing and you want to pray for healing. We just say, come. Or you may want to just turn to somebody near you, a spouse or a friend, and say, I want to pray with you because we're all ministers and God can work through all of us. But let's just take some time now and respond to our Father God. I am truly grateful that you guys are my family. I'm going to miss you this month. Enjoy the air conditioning. Um, Let me just pray this last prayer over you. If you you want, you can put out your hands. It's just kind of an, an act of submitting your life to God. Father God, We are yours. Every part of us, the the stuff that we like to present to the world and the stuff that we're kind of ashamed of, it's all yours. We entrust it to you. Would you help us to live wisely? Would you show us how to respond in any and every moment? Would you remind us of your presence? And Holy Spirit, we invite you to terraform our hearts so that we... We know your will, Father, and then are willing to do it. Have your way with us so that as we leave here today, church doesn't end, now it begins. Let Help us to be the church. Jesus, in your holy name, amen. amen. Have a wonderful day.